having not done this for a week, takes me a while to remember what I'm doing here. Okay. You, you go, sometimes when you're going to speak, you go over prepared. And so that was kind of the case with me last week. I was prepared. I was supposed to speak three times. And uh, so I went prepared with three studies, and we got through one. <laughs> Uh, in that regard, but I did hit some things off one of the a couple of things off the other study. Uh, and everybody's sitting here going surprise. Yeah, you wouldn't have been surprised. They might have thought that a surprise, but uh, they might have been surprised by that. But uh, it's uh, no surprise for me. So I was only able to get through one, but we got through. We we got the main thing, and it's been something that it's. Did you purposely coordinate your shirt and? <laughs> no, no, no. That's I just I was looking through something to wear with brown pants today, and that's that's what you got. So, no, I did not. Oh, there we go. No, that's all right. Um, um, no, uh, I, I shared with them something, a little bit of what we shared here when I was filling in for Jim uh, a couple weeks ago um, on, uh, for us as, uh, as believers, um, appreciating, coming to appreciate your weakness. Uh, because Paul says, and Paul, and if you remember that in 2 Corinthians, in fact, I, there was a part of me that wanted to go through that, through that with you all again, just because it's really been impressed upon me. And so when we're praying for Daryl with his shoulder and Dan with his arm and Gary going through this and a lot of people, a lot of us all going through different things. I have a weakness I deal day with that's called my head because every day, because it's never, I'm just, I'm never as sharp as I would like to be uh, when I'm, when it comes to studying God's word and being on the ball for different things. Uh, and that's not an excuse. It's just, that's the way it is. But that was weakness. Paul says he came to appreciate his weakness because in his weakness, God's strength was made most visible. And uh, it's an important lesson for us to learn that uh, sometimes God has to really allow us to realize what we can't do without him. And that is an introduction for the fact today that as we're uh, working on our study, and you have heard it said, where we're looking at contrast between some very popular statements out of the Old Testament and uh, things that uh, are true for us as New Testament believers. And uh, we're, today we're going to be looking at a contrast between strength in the Old Testament and strength for us. And we're going to start over in Joshua chapter 1. So if you go to your Bibles over to Joshua chapter 1. In fact, I, I told Peggy there was a part of me that wanted to pull up a video because I came across this a couple weeks ago. It came up on YouTube. There was a singer, he still sings today, a Christian singer by the name of Michael W. Smith, and maybe some of you know who he is, maybe some of you don't, but back in the 80s when uh, I think Peg and I were still in college, he had a, strong, a song that came out called Strong and Courageous or Be Strong and Courageous, I don't remember what it is, but it comes out of, out of Joshua chapter 1. So let's look here in Joshua chapter 1, and I want to go up to, the, to verse 1 and just read down through this context just so you kind of see what, what is happening. I'm reading from the New King James today. So it says, verse 1, And after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. 
as I said to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not abandon you or leave you, and I will not, uh, that were first word that's translated uh, leave in the New King James, uh, however your Bible translates it. Literally, it means to kind of sink or go limp. In other words, like I'm supposed to be your support, and I kind of, I can't, I can't help you anymore. Okay. And then the second term, nor will I forsake you or abandon you. <clears throat> be strong and of good courage, or some of your Bibles will say, be strong and courageous. For this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to the to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. He just adds the, the uh, adverb moed here, which is translated very, very courageous, so that you may observe to do according to all the law which which Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may prosper or be prudent wherever you go. And he's going to remind him again in verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And he's going to repeat this instruction again to him, to be strong and courageous. But the strong and courageousness that he is encouraging Joshua to have here is because God had been with them. They'd, he had been Moses' right-hand man. And so he had seen time and again what God did with the people of Israel, how, he, how God was with Moses and how no one was able to stand against them. And we could probably spend the whole morning and actually several studies going back through the travels of Israel from Egypt to this point, And we could see the different nations that came out against them and how those nations failed in coming out against them because God was with them and how God, was, God worked through those people. So he's calling Joshua to be strong and courageous. Now, I want to share just a little tidbit on Greek, or excuse me, on Hebrew grammar. There is a form, there's a form of the Hebrew word, uh, it's called the hyphiel. You all want to say hyphiel? Okay, apparently not all you want to say that, that's fine. Hyphiel, hyphiel, like H-I-P-H-I-L-I-E-L, hyphiel. Anyway, hyphiel is a causative form. It means to cause something to happen. And when I first was working on this, I was wondering, oh, I bet this is a hyphiel. Well, there is a hyphiel in here where God says, I will not cause myself to become limp or lack. But when he talks to Joshua and says, be strong and courageous, it's never a hyphiel. It's a cal imperative. Cal is just an active. He's just saying, you, Joshua, you be strong and you be courageous. There are other forms, other forms of the Hebrew root that you could change this word, the word strong and courageous into that would say, be strengthened and be made courageous or strengthen yourself and make yourself courageous. But he doesn't use those forms. He simply uses a cow imperative to say these things. And the significance of that is Joshua is going to, essentially, he's going to be strong by simply keeping in mind what God's done. Just going ahead and saying, hey, God's taken us this far. Let's move on. It's so one of the reasons that 
in Scripture why it's important and why God actually told Israel, you know when you get into the land, you're going to have memorial feasts. In fact, one of those things, you're going to live in tents. You're going to spend a time and you're going to go out and build little tents for yourself. And you're going to live outside and you're going to do these things. And then you're going to have the book of the law and you're going to, you're going to write this wherever you are and you're going to talk with it about your children because you need to be reminding that generation that didn't go through this what I took you through. There is, there is a whole generation that lives, well, it goes back a little ways now, that lives in our nation that they don't know the hardships that people have gone through before to get to where they are now. They just think everything's been handed to them. And they don't realize that there were people that went through the depression and learned how to survive and take care of themselves. There were people that went through World War II and they learned how to, to handle those things. And there were people that went through things that were hard. And I, I remember Dwight and I've talked about this. Dwight said there were times where, you know what? If this thing would have broken down, they wouldn't have replaced it. They would have eventually tried to, but you just didn't have the resources to replace it, you know? Or if something broke down that was essential, like a refrigerator, you might have to go into debt to replace it because there just wasn't resources. And today, we've got people that are, today it's like, well, hey, you know, I've got abundant resources. I'm going to go out and buy myself five vehicles and I'm going to buy myself a camper and I'm going to buy myself a boat and I'm going to buy myself a vacation house. And they just, they don't know what it's like to ever be in a time when it was hard or difficult. Well, Joshua knew, God knew that there was a generation coming that was eventually not going to know. In fact, you find that when you go to the book of Judges, which is not the main point of our study, but it's, this is key to this, to this issue here. When you get to the book of Judges, it says that there was a generation that came along, and they did not know Joshua, and they did not know the fathers that came in and took the land. And they didn't know all of these things that went on. And he says, that's why you're supposed to review this. You're supposed to sit your kids down, and you're supposed to tell them these stories. And I've actually known parents that went through hard times that said they never wanted to talk to their kids about those things because they didn't want their kids to feel guilty. And I don't think you may have to make your kids to feel guilty. You just have to make your kids appreciate this isn't easy all the time. <laughs> it's been really hard for, gen for certain generations to go through these things. And Joshua here needs to remember this. See, all of this comes back to the point. Joshua needs to remember what God did bringing up. Israel didn't march out there strong. It wasn't that Israel had a great army. It was the fact that God kept those people from causing Israel trouble along the way. And so Joshua is encouraged by God here to be strong, to be strong and courageous. And all of this was to face as they were going to go in and face the nations. They're going to have to go in and deal with these cities. What's the first city they deal with when they enter the land in the book of Joshua? Jericho. Jericho. And was there any problem at all in taking Jericho? None whatsoever, because God was completely on their side. They actually run into a problem with the little city next door called I, because, well, somebody didn't obey when they took Jericho and the nation gets punished and a number of people die in a conflict taking a city that's significantly smaller than Jericho. But that was because they weren't obeying God, which is exactly, we read that verse, be careful to, to do all the things that are written in the law. He told them to do that right here. But he says, don't fear as you face these problems. 
So again, God did not promise to make Joshua strong. There's no promise in here. As you read through this text, there's no promise where God is going to strengthen Joshua or God is going to make him courageous. Joshua is going to be strong and courageous by remembering what God has done with them. Okay, now let's go. He does make a promise Yes, he's going to be with him, but he's not going to be supernaturally strengthening him. And this is that. This is an important thing. What I, I, this wasn't a part of our study, but I want to ask: Was there? Can you think of somebody that was physically strengthened in the Old Testament? Very famous dude, Samson. Samson. But he was not. He wasn't given the strength that that Joshua is being asked for. Joshua is actually being. He's taught to be strong here in terms of his fortitude, to not be afraid of these people. That's There's a difference between being physically strong and having fortitude. You can be a really big, strong guy that goes, I don't want to go up against that. See, So there's a difference between having physical strength and mental strength. But I want to go to the other end of your Old Testament. I want you to go to the book of Habakkuk. Have fun finding that one. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. There we go. Or Habakkuk. Habakkuk sometimes people say this. When we come to, to Habakkuk, I want to put in in chapter 1 to kind of understand what's happening. Because Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on how you pronounce this, he had a problem. He's a prophet of God. And it says in verse 1, And the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear, even cry out to you violence, and you shall not save? Why do you show me perversity and cause me to see trouble for plundering and violence are before me and there's strife and contention arises and we could stop there because he's just going to go on and he's going to say I look at my nation my people and it's it's a mess and I see people that are not acting righteously and I see people that are not doing what they're supposed to do and he says I cry out and he says how much longer God am I going to have to watch my people be so horrible None of you ever feel like that, do you? <laughs> you ever feel like that? You look around and you're kind of going, man, God, this is terrible. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. Because notice, if you will, verse, verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I'm going to work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. I, for indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful, and their judgment and their dignity precede them. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their charges charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly like eagles, quick to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind, and they gather captives like the sand. They scoff at kings, and princes are scorned by them, and they deride every stronghold. For if they heap up earth mounds and seize it, then mind changes. Then his mind changes, and he transgresses, and he commits offense, this power to his God. In other words, he says, Habakkuk, you're upset with how violent your nation is. I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to bring another nation against your nation to punish it. And the nation that I'm going to bring is far worse than your nation is. They are a fierce nation. They're a horrible nation. They're a nation that just overruns other people. And they have no respect for kings and no respect for the gods of other people whatsoever. And they're going to come in. And as a result of this, 
Habakkuk is going to be saying, wait a second, <laughs> wait a second, this isn't what I wanted. What, what, what do you ask? If you're asking for God to clean up your town or your state or your, your country, we, you're not asking for God to bring another foreign power in here that's going to basically stomp all over you and bring, you, bring your nation to heal. That's not what you want, is it? You just want the people that are bad to, to go away or at least maybe clean up their bad behavior. Those are the things we want. That's what apparently that Habakkuk wanted. But what Habakkuk is going to get from God is that he's going to actually bring a fiercer, horrible nation. And I want to look at a verse in chapter 2. I want to look at this verse in chapter 2 that he mentions here. And it's a verse that most of us are very familiar with. But most of us do not realize what this statement is about. He says, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. So the person that's walking around in his nation that has a problem, his soul isn't upright. He goes around with his face in the air and he doesn't, he doesn't realize that how precarious his situation is. But then he goes on, but the just, the righteous one, lives by his faith. A statement that is repeated in the New Testament on at least three occasions and it is always faith, and the reason I say that, that they always translate that faith over there in the New Testament, is because this particular word here is most of the time in the Old Testament translated faithfulness. But it's not translated that way in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit did not have Paul translate this word, because Paul is the one that cites this, and James does, uh, I believe, one time in James. I might be wrong on that, in James 2. But they translate it faith. They translate it by the noun faith. Even though it's translated faithfulness most of the time in the Old Testament, and so our English Bibles go with faith uh, in this case. But this is what, what he's getting at. He says, if you understand who God is, Habakkuk, if you keep this in mind and you understand I'm bringing this nation here to punish you, but see, you're righteous. You can actually go on living as you direct faith that I am, if he says here, if you were to go back up in the context, that he is a God that actually is going to carry out his purpose. Uh, if we go back up to verse 12 of chapter 1, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. In other words, he's, take, he's taking solace in the fact that because of who God is, he says, we're not going to die, even though you're going to bring this fierce nation, which is just crazy for me to think about that you're going to use a nation more horrible than us to punish us. I know we're not going to die because you actually have a purpose in this. And it's that idea, this, this taking, taking a rest, a rest of your faith in who God is, that he says here in verse 4, that the righteous person will live by his faith. And when we repeat this in the New Testament, just as an encouragement to you and I, when you face things that you think are going to be absolutely horrible, or they are really horrible, sometimes we, th we can think a thing is going to be horrible. No, sometimes we actually are going to face stuff that's really horrible. Again, this goes back to kind of my introduction, where I was referring to, to just being, I've been so impressed over the last month, and this is what I shared here with you guys in the adult class a couple weeks ago, been so impressed by 
how Paul focuses again and again in 2 Corinthians on his weakness and his inability. And when he starts to list off a list going, hey, are they this? Well, we are. Are they this? Are we? We are. Are they this? We are. Are they this? We are. And, and on top of that, I've got all these problems. And he goes through and lists all his problems that he's going through. And he goes, are those, those guys going to list off their problems? Are they going to tell you all their inabilities? Are they going to tell you all the things where they fail or the horrible things they've had to endure? No, they're not going to do that. And Paul says, I'll do that. Because all of that reminds me, it's, it's all God. It's all God. He's the only one that can get this done. And so likewise, Habakkuk, kind of as an Old Testament saint, he's able to direct faith at God's promise that God is going to take care of his righteous ones. And he's going to be able to face the onslaught that's coming from the Chaldeans. Chaldeans, another word for Babylonian, but Chaldeans. Does anybody remember what the word Chaldean meant compared to Babylon? Babylonians referred to the fact that they were from the area of Babel, Babylon. Chaldeans meant stargazers. They were people that watched the stars, not to study the movement of the planets, but because they thought in studying the stars, they understood how destinies were, were going to come out. So they're kind of like people that were studying the Zodiac. Now let's go to the end of Habakkuk. Go to chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. And this is a very famous verse. In fact, there was a woman by the name of Hannah Whittall Smith who back, I believe back in the 30s or 40s, wrote a book called Hind's Feet on High Places. And somebody gave me a copy of this book way back when I was dumb. Still dumb, but I was dumber then. And all I could think about was your hind feet. Well, I've only got two feet. How are they your hind feet? See, now, if you're smarter than me, you go, oh, he's not talking about your hind feet. He's talking about the feet of a hind, a deer. And it's the deer's feet. That's what hind refers to. It's a, a variety of deer, okay? I hope all of you had that figured out. But I didn't understand that, and I'd read this verse. I didn't know what this was talking about. Anyway, uh, Sorry, apologize for being so stupid. But Habakkuk chapter 3, as he's looking, as Habakkuk considers here as these things come to a close uh, at the end of this, I want to go to chapter 3 and look at verse 1. The prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigionoth, which is a, a celebration, a song thing that they were going to do. O Lord, I have heard your speech and I was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. What's he pouring out on Israel? Through the Chaldeans. Wrath. But in that wrath, remember mercy. Come from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Uh, Selah, pause. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hands, and there and there his power was hidden. Before him was pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth, and he looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered, and the perpetual hills bowed down, and his ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the current curtains of the land of Midian trembled. In other words, he says, I look at these things, and I, I look at your history. I look at the things that you have done with people in the past. This is kind of like, this is what, Joshua is being encouraged to do. And that's what Habakkuk is doing. He's going through and he's, he's rehearsing what God has done in history. He's rehearsing what God has done in history. 
And as he does this, as he thinks about these things, I want you to go down. We could read through this whole chapter. I encourage you, if you've got time this afternoon, and I bet you all have some time, sit down and read all of Habakkuk chapter 3. But if you go down to the end of the chapter, in verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like, now the New King James makes this easy on me here, not like the King James that had Heinz feet, but like the feet of a deer, he will make me walk on high hills. Now, when he's talking about this, don't think of uh, the deer that we have run, running around here. He's looking at a variety of deer that kind of like the goats. If you ever been to places um, uh, uh, back a few years ago when Dan and Ben took me up, and we got to go up uh, into the, uh, what do you call that area up there? Snow Lake, thank you. And we're up there. Run into a lot of goats. And those goats are fairly sure-footed on the rock. And they go up there and they've got those special feet and their hooves kind of split like this and they grab the rock really well. And that's what he's talking about. You've made my feet like the feet of these deer that can just scale and they can go up in high places that it's hard for you and I to get to. And he says, God, you're going to be able to put me in places like that. He's using it obviously as a metaphor for the fact, God, you're able to take and do with me things that are not normal. And he's doing it not by God infusing Habakkuk with strength, but by him being strengthened, like Joshua, by considering God's history, how God has acted with the other people. Now, I would say, I think that there is a good lesson for us in those things. We're going to see something different for you, but I think that there is a good lesson for us. It's one of the things that I'm encouraged by when I go and read the Old Testament, is that I'm saying, that's still the same God, isn't it? We don't have two gods. The God of the Old Testament is our God. And I come to read those things and I go, that's still our God. Our God is the God that can do those miraculous things. He could do those things with those people. And it encourages me to stop and think about what God has done in the past. To think about, you know, the things that I have to deal with. They're not too hard for him. In fact, it's really interesting. One of the expressions we have, and I didn't look up the verse for it today because it wasn't one of the things I was studying out, but there's the expression, nothing's too hard for God in the Old Testament. But that word that's translated too hard in the Hebrew, it's literally, it's not too wonderful. It's not such a wonderful thing. It's like, this would be so wonderful. Oh, but that's a little bit much for God. It's what there literally is the expression. It's not so wonderful. It's not too wonderful for God to accomplish that. So, when we're looking at strength in the Old Testament, and I drew this, I wrote this conclusion out for you on the outline if you're using that today, Israel's strength came by considering God and his work. It was a natural mental strength for God's purpose, similar to encouragement one might receive by realizing someone else will help you achieve a task. I've got certain things at different times that I've done. I've told you this story way too many times probably, but things that I've, I've set out to do, and my wife says, ask Dwight. And I asked Dwight, and Dwight comes on, and when it's done, I'm like, that went better than I ever could have imagined. <laughs> because I had somebody that had some know-how, that knew how to approach this task in a way that I wouldn't have known what to do. He had the right tool. And he had the right tool. He had the right tool. A couple months back, 
I, I've, I've, well, it's been a little more than that, but I wanted to build this big wind chime for my wife. And I was thinking, now Dwight's not the right person to ask. I'm going to ask Daryl. Daryl went out there and it just didn't take Daryl any time to help measure those things out and cut those things. And on top of that, he, then he went and put it on his drill press and drilled the holes. And I was like, man, I, if I would have done that, <laughs> you wouldn't have wanted to know how long that would have taken me to get that stuff done and to do it to turn it out right. And so what it, what it is is sometimes you're encouraged because you have somebody that you know they have the know-how to help you achieve a task that might seem a little bit beyond your ability. It's beyond your, or maybe a lot beyond your skill set. Maybe it's totally outside of your skill set. So let's go over to the New Testament. Let's take a look at God's strength for you. And I want to go to Ephesians chapter 6 to begin with. And these are all things that you're familiar with. I'm not pulling any verses out that you haven't seen before. Just, but I want to point some things out about these verses. So the first one we come to is Ephesians chapter 6. We come to Ephesians chapter 6 and we get down to verse 10. What's the big story going on that he's going to talk about or the big issue that he's going to talk about in the following verses? The armor of God. Why do you put on the armor of God? Because you're dealing with you're dealing with Satan, okay? So Satan is confronting you. He's trying. And is Satan's, is Satan's attack with you, is it physical or is it mental? It's a mental attack. He might use circumstances, but in the end, it's going to be a mental attack. He's going to make you proud. <laughs> you got this. Or, hey, might come along and say, uh, it might not be pride. It might be independence of God. You don't need God on this. You can do this. You got this. You can handle this. You don't need to go to God. So these are the type of things that Satan is going to come and attack us with. And so he tells us in verse 10, and my wife has been really good at continuing to point this out because sometimes we just jump right to the armor. But verse 10 is important because it says, finally then, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And that word that's be strong is a verb in the Greek, literally be strengthened. And you're being strengthened in the Lord, and you're being strengthened by the, the might, the visible strength that comes from his natural strength. What, what strength actually belongs to God? And he's empowering you. And the verb here, try to make this clear, is it could be two things. It could be a middle or passive. It shares the same form in the Greek. But the very fact that he tells them to, he, I don't think he's telling them, you strengthen yourself. He says, you need to be strengthened. That's why the passive makes more sense here. You need to be strengthened in the Lord because you're being strengthened by his might from his power. He, you're not using your strength. He's not saying you use your strength. He says, you need God to strengthen you. You cannot face Satan in your own strength. You try to go through and put on the armor of God without resting in who God says you are in Christ. And as one of my friends used to put it, Satan will kick you in the teeth. You, have, you need his strength to deal with Satan. He is a formidable foe. This is strength that God's giving you from outside. This is not Joshua standing considering God, and the more he considers what God's done, the more his strength gets better and better inside, like, we, yeah, we can do this, we can do this. No, this is strength that God from the outside is strengthening with. It's his strength that he's giving to you. It's not your natural fortitude. Does everybody understand that? But Joshua, he wasn't a he-man. It was a mental battle for them to do. 
It was, but that. But what we're saying is, is the strength for him to face that was his own fortitude, because it never says that God gave him mental fortitude. He was going to have that by considering what God had done. He was going to he was going to be encouraging or strengthening himself by this consideration. God's done this for us, and He's done this for us, and He's done this for us. What? And. It, it, which we're going to cover here in a week or so. <laughs> so yes, that, that is going to be a contrast that's going to fit in here. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. And it says, you therefore, this is verse 1, 2 Timothy 2, 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace or by means of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So this is not strength that you've got in and of yourself. You're being strengthened by a provision that comes from God's grace. Since it's from God's grace, is it a strength that you deserve? No, because the very definition of grace means it's not something you deserve. So he says, be strong by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we're going to skip over verse 2 for the minute because I think that's part of what he needed to carry out that he wasn't doing. But verse 3 then is going to tell you why. It says that you should then suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. There's a key word in, the, in verse 3 that's going to tell you what his problem was. What was his problem? He needed to act as a soldier. He needed to act as a soldier. When do you soldier as a believer? When you're dealing with Satan. It's the only time in Scripture that you act as a soldier. You don't soldier against the world. You know, soldiers, contrary to Christians, you know, when I, well, probably one of my favorite songs when I was a little kid in church, we'd sing it, we'd, we'd sing it for VBS. We had VBS. They'd have us all line up outside, and then, then you'd every day you'd choose one kid to carry the Christian flag into the church, and you'd march in, and we'd sing, Onward, Christian Soldier. Oh, man, that was fun. You didn't have any other songs you ever did any of that like that with, you know, you had action songs, you know, but, uh, and then we used to, what was that other one? What was the other fun action song you sang that kind of had that same sense? I'm in the Lord's army. Yeah. And you know what? You you only act as a soldier. You're only as a believer involved in warfare, according to Scripture, when you're dealing with Satan. You don't deal with the world in warfare as a soldier, and you don't deal with your flesh or your sin nature as a soldier. In fact, what do you do when, what do you do when your sin nature attacks? You're act dead. <laughs> You remind your mind that you're dead. Ben says you're a dead soldier. <laughs> no, you die. He says, I died with Christ of the sin nature is what Paul tells us. That's what you're supposed to do when you deal with the sin nature. You don't soldier against it. So he's acting as a soldier. And then again in verse 4, no soldier in service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. In other words, we've talked about this before. When you're dealing with a satanic attack, and this is hard for us to convince ourselves of, but you actually have to step back from whatever's going on right now in life around you, and you need to put on the armor. You don't put on the armor of God and keep running. So Ben gets attacked by Satan. I was, th I was thinking people like this. If he's down at the store and he's got fires going out there, you know, he's trying to put out you know, the figurative fires of different employees and different things that customers want. He's doing all these things, but he comes under satanic attack. You don't put on the armor of God when you're running around doing those things. You almost have to say, I just need, give me five minutes or ten minutes, whatever it takes to just go sit over here 
and put on the armor. And you know why? Why do you have to do that? Because I can guarantee you, if you don't take that time, the satanic attack is not going to go away and it's just going to get worse and worse and the fire is going to spread. And so he says here, you have to stop entangling yourself in the affairs of everyday life and you need to soldier. You need to put on the armor of God when you're dealing with Satan. But before you can do that, just like in Ephesians 6.10, you need to be made strong in the Lord. And again, this word is most likely in the passive. It's something that God is providing you mentally to face him. Now the next one is not passive at all. It's active, but it's God. Ephesians chapter 1. And we know that this is God. It doesn't tell us this is God doing this. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and... Uh, let me get down here. Verse 19. We're just going to put in, we're kind of in, you're in the middle of a sentence here in when we come to verse 19, but notice what he says. And what is the, and I'm in the New American Standard, so Ephesians 1.19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power to us who believe in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he worked or which, uh, which he did when he brought, which he worked out, excuse me, in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one coming. But what he says back in verse 19, and we should go back to verse 18 to kind of pick this up. He says that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, so you might know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of this inheritance among the saints? In other words, you need to, if you think it's all about you, you're missing out on the fact that it's about all of us. It's about God's work with all of us. It's not just about his work with me, which is part of the problem, that you've got some Gentile and Jewish believers that aren't getting along. And if those Jewish and Gentile believers are going to get along, one of the things they need to do is they need to, they need to have their mental eyes opened to see what the hope is. What are the riches of God's glory or his reputation among all the saints? He's inheriting all of us. He's not just inheriting the good saints. He's inheriting the whole thing because we're all the same. There is no such thing as good saints and bad saints. We're all saints in Christ. Hear that? If you're a believer in Christ, you're a saint. You're all saints, Scripture says. You don't have to wait for sainthood. You're already a saint. Christ made you a saint by you being put into him at the Father's right hand. But that ability to see, that ability to recognize the whole body of Christ, not just that part of the body that's like you. You know, I've told you the joke. I told this to our friend Gary. He'd never heard this. But for those of you that have forgotten this, you've heard the, the story about the guy that dies and goes to heaven. And he goes past one room and there's tambourines and shouting and hands waving in the air and He's going, what's that? And he goes, oh, those are the Pentecostals. They're singing it up in there. This is a joke, you understand. They go down another one, they hear organ music and kind of people uh, singing a hymn. And What's that? Oh, that's high, those are the high church people. They go down the hall a little bit further and he goes, shh, tiptoe. Walk past the door and he goes, what was that all about? Well, those are the Baptists. They think they're the only ones up here. <laughs> and I just tell that because seriously, it is. I mean, when I was growing up in a Baptist church, it was really easy for me to think if you weren't Baptist, well, you probably could get in, but eh, yeah, it was highly doubtful that non-Baptists made it to heaven. I mean, and I don't know that anybody ever said that where I grew up, 
but it was just my experience that I didn't have, I only had two friends that didn't go to our church that were Christians. Everybody else that I talked to and shared the gospel with, none of them were saved and they all went to these other churches and you just kind of developed this idea. So maybe that division where we think of only people like us, it's only people that go to a church with the kind of name that our church has. By the way, shock to me to grow up and find out that there's a lot of Baptist churches that don't preach the gospel. <laughs> and you're like, wow, I didn't know that. I figured they all did. And you find out there's a lot of Baptist churches that do not present the gospel. Anyway, so you can think. So it might be by the name of the church. It might be with the style of your church. It might be with your race. It might be that you think maybe your race is better than somebody else's in some way. And, and that was the problem with a racial, a religious division between the Jews and the Gentiles in the Ephesian church. And so they need their eyes open to see it's all of us, all of us that believe in Christ. We're all there together. We're all part of those saints. And that comes with, with this, what he says, what is the surpassing greatness of his power to us, or that word expression, it literally is into us. It's his power that is into us. He's, in, he's putting that power in us. It's his power, but he's putting it in us. And it's mental power to be able to comprehend, to grasp what the whole thing is like. And just to put this in perspective, he picks this up again in chapter 3 of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. When Paul is asking, he's making a request, and he says, verse 16, that he would give you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. This is inner man strength. It's not muscle strength. It's not in your back strength or your leg strength. It's strength in here. And he says, you need that strength. And it's not mental fortitude here. It's not Joshua having mental fortitude to take on the people in the land, it's mental strength so that the Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. This is what he was saying back there in chapter 1 that we were looking at. Comprehend with the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth to know the love of the Christ which surpasses knowledge. In other words, that you see the whole body of Christ. And remember he has those dimensions with length, height, breadth, and depth. Probably threw another one in there. But he's talking about dimensions of a structure because at the end of chapter 2, he not only looks at us as a body, but he also looks at us as a temple. And we've said this many times, the way some people, the way some people tend to look at the body of Christ, it's like you've got, you got a temple with one wall. It's just got one wall. All those people that look like me, talk like me, think like me, they're this wall. And we forget about believers that maybe come from a different race. <coughs> And have had different things in their background. And as a result of that, we have a problem. And he says, you need some mental strength to be able to see the whole thing so that the whole Christ can settle down at home in your hearts through love. So you can have a love for the whole thing, not just love those that are like you. It's real easy. It's always easy to love the ones that are like you. Well, it is until they act like you. <laughs> then you're like, oh, you know what I mean? Because you have a sin nature and then they act like you. Okay. Um. Let's go over to Colossians chapter 1. I'm just going to grab this one on the way by. We won't sit on this one very long. But he's going to use two words here that he going to say, says you're going to need mental strength for. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11. It says, And by all power being empowered, one's being empowered according to the might of his glory, 
And he says, for all patience in long-suffering with joy. Patience is when you maintain the right attitude and character under difficult circumstances. Maybe those circumstances are physical pain from a physical ailment. Maybe you're like our brothers here at church that are dealing with shoulder and joint problems and things that aren't working. And there, yet there's patience to keep doing what God has before you while this isn't yet fixed. Maybe it's patience that you have to deal with a hard Maybe it's heat. <laughs> when Jim's up here praying and he's thinking about the firefighters, I mean, think of the patience that they have to exhibit when they're out there doing a task that can't be all that pleasant, as Jim was saying. You're out there and it's really hot right now, and there's this, in, this formidable heat that's coming from that. And yet they have a task to get out there and do those things. That takes a certain type of patience, patience in a difficult circumstance. And we could go on and on with circumstances. Long-suffering, the second word that he has here, and some of your Bibles are going to have endurance and patience is the way they're going to do, translate this. But it's the second word is what you have with people where you don't get angry. How about that? You don't get angry. Do we all need that? Is there any of us here that never have a problem with getting angry with other people, blowing our tops at them? Even if it's just for a moment, lose your cool, and we excuse ourselves. That's oh, been a hard day. <laughs> hey, it's still wrong. It doesn't make any difference whether it was a hard day. It's still an unrighteous thing to do, to blow your top at somebody. And you need strength, he says, so that you can deal with difficult circumstances, as well as, shall we say, dealing with difficult people and respond properly in both situations. But you need outside strength. Some, it's not something that comes from yourself. In fact, the second part there, the one that's translated long-suffering in the King James or patience in your modern translations, who produces that in you? The Holy Spirit is part of the fruit from the Spirit. See, it's not a natural trait. Something that the Spirit produces. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to put in at verse 10. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked an opportunity. Not that I am speaking from want or from lack, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being full and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need, or having lack, lacking. And then we have this verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And literally, in the context, what he says, I can do all things, is literally in the Greek, I am made strong. I am made strong. In the one empowering me. See, even though I am made strong here, literally, or I am strong, it's I have somebody else that's empowering me, he says. In the one empowering me. So this power isn't from Paul. This isn't mental fortitude that Paul develops. This is strength God gives to Paul to be content when I've got enough to eat and my, my belly's been growling for two or three days. To be content either way, Paul says, to be able to handle either of those. You need strength from outside. 
And I think this is an important thing for us to understand. I've, I've shared with you before, I didn't know that what this verse meant. I honestly think most Christians don't really know what Paul means when he uses this verse, because I've told you, I think recently I was sharing this with somebody, when I was growing up, I think it was in freshman in high school or eighth grade, our PE teacher, every Monday and every Friday, we had to run a mile at the beginning of PE. And boy, there were days that it was raining and you were all like, yes, we don't have to run a mile. You're going out and running a mile. In the rain? And you're running that mile out there. And I wasn't a mile runner or anything like that back then. And you're doing, and you get about halfway through your mile and you're like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. But that's not what this verse is about. This verse is literally that all things are being humble or being abundant, having lack or having enough. That's what this verse is really. That's the all things he's referring to in this context. Okay? And he's encouraging the, Thessal or the Philippians with this because there was a need that they had that was going to be met also by strength. But here, clearly, this is God. God is actively strengthening us. So this is not, again, this is strength from God here. Last one I want to look at is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the end of Paul's life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is on death row in Rome. He's going to die. He tells us that. He says he's already being poured out. So we know Paul is getting close to the end of his life. He's going to be executed by the Roman government. And he says in verse 17, or verse 16, 2 Timothy 4 verse 16, At my first defense, there was nobody that stood with me. Everybody deserted me. They had not be counted against me. Don't you love how Paul's like that? Everybody ran out. None of my friends stood with me. And Paul says, don't hold it against them. Don't, don't, don't you guys go, hey, where were you for Paul? Just back off. Don't hold it against him. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me. And he, what's it say? Strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So the first time Paul had a defense, Paul was set free. And the Lord stood with him, and the Lord strengthened Paul, so that mentally he had the mental strength standing here. Keep in mind now what he's doing. He appealed to Caesar. And what did the, what did the uh, Roman proconsul decide over there in Judea? To Caesar... To Caesar he is appealed, to Caesar he shall go. And they put him on a boat, and they send him off in that long, arduous trip by boat to Rome. He ends up in Rome, sits under house arrest for two years, and at the end of that two years, just think what that docket must have looked like. It took him that long to get there, but two years he's under house arrest before he actually gets a hearing. And he gets a hearing before Caesar. And I don't know about you, how would it be if you personally, our country doesn't work like this, but let's say you, you went before 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 one of the highest courts in the land that actually could decide something in your favor. Our, our Supreme Court doesn't operate like that. That's not what they're doing. They're, just, they're making other, a different set of decisions. But you're actually on trial before these individuals. And you go before them. Is there a little bit, is there, a pro, it, is there anybody here who want to raise their hand and say you probably have your stomach in knots? <laughs> I would. I mean, if I actually was on trial and I actually had to go stand before them, I, my stomach could probably be in knots a little bit. My knees might be knocking. I might find myself kind of getting the shakes a little bit in advance. And it wouldn't be because I was running out of, out of food. It's because I'd be nervous. 
Paul says the Lord strengthened Paul for this. I think Paul knew this because I think as Paul, even though Paul made his appeal to Caesar, I think, you know, when you actually get right down to it, no matter what you might say about Paul, I think Paul's admitting here by this, there would have been a little bit of nerves on his part standing before Caesar and stating his case and his situation. But the Lord stands with him. Nobody else can see this, but it's something that Paul knows. And the Lord strengthens Paul to have the mental fortitude to keep it together so that Paul says he can fully preach the gospel. Now, what he means by fully is that the gospel is not being hindered, that it can go out further. And Paul says he's set free, meaning he got to go and preach the gospel to more places. Some church history tells us that Paul actually traveled on over to Spain and then returned. We don't know that for sure. It's just some church history that we have because uh, the Bible never says that. Paul says that's what he wanted to be able to do. Whether he actually was or not, we don't know. But all of this is just to remind us that we have a contrast in these things. That in the Old Testament, when we're talking about uh, a strength in the Old Testament, we're always looking at people having a fortitude because they're considering what God's done. They're considering a set of facts, and it kind of emboldens them mentally with this fortitude. But every instance we looked at of the strength being used with regard to us, it's never us digging down and finding our own strength. It's never just our mentally fortifying ourselves by thinking about what God's done. It's always about us being in a situation where we recognize, I absolutely need God to give me this mental strength to face Satan, to face a situation where I may lack or have enough, to be able to be patient or long-suffering with people, to be able to stand boldly and make your defense before the highest ruler of the land in the last case. And all of those were God's strength. And this is the point with all of these, that I do not want you to leave here without getting this. That's for you. Every one of you, probably every week, are going to find yourself in some situation in which you're going to need divinely provided strength, mental strength, inner strength, strength in your inner man, to be able to do what God wants you to do in a given situation. And to not give up, to not throw it in at that moment. I'm not saying you throw it in all the time. I've got, to, hey, we've all been there. We've all thrown in the towel at one time or another, and maybe the very next day we don't throw in the towel. We, we go through and carry out what God wants. But we had that opportunity, and that opportunity came and went, and we didn't carry it out. We didn't do what God wanted because we didn't rely on the strength that God makes available to us. And if you're a believer here, you have that strength available to you every day. And it's found, if you saw, remember seeing the verses, 2 Timothy 2.1, it's found you go to your position in Christ. That's where you go. You go up there and you sit at the Father's right hand. And as you go up there, he provides you strength. 2 Timothy 2.1, Ephesians 6.10. That's where you're going to find us. Philippians 4.13, I have the strength in the one empowering me, in that position that you have in Christ. So remember that this week. Maybe today you're going to go out and face something. Remember that you have that strength available to you every moment of every day. Divine strength, God's strength to be able to face the challenges God has for you. Father, we're thankful for the time you've given us. We're thankful that you don't ask us just to tough it out. You don't ask us just to review our history. 
that wasn't a bad thing that you called uh, Joshua to do or Habakkuk to do or any of those other Old Testament saints. But you have provided again, as is said again and again, you have provided us something better. Because you're actually sharing your very strength with us for the very challenges and opportunities you've set before us. And help us as believers to appreciate these things, to think on these things. And uh, as we do so, that we might be growing as we see your faithful work in our lives. Thank you for this time together, for the, for the, the kind attention and patience of these people that ask that we would really be availing ourselves of these things as we've been reminded of these truths from your word today. Amen. Have a great 4th of July. I, uh, I brought one or two bags of walnuts again, and uh, so if you want, I'll shell walnuts, please. Can't go with them.